Something that's coming up, we haven't talked much about this, but we'll be sending out some information about it here soon, is uh, we're having what we're calling the No Limits Conference. And Jim Crabb, Dr. Mark Barkley are going to be with us the end of June. Um, it's going to be the 28th, 29th, and 30th. And uh, this is, uh, Sharon had asked me, uh, we were talking earlier and and uh, in the year, and she said, you know, this is your 40th year of ministry this summer. I'll have, I will have started uh, in uh, 1979 in June doing mission work in the Philippines as a young kid. And uh, so she said, you know, what do you want to do? And I said, I want us to have two of the greatest preachers that I know come here and uh, that would be my pastor, Mark Barkley, and Jim Crabbs, the other one. And uh, I said, let's have them come and let's have them preach to our people and let's have a great weekend. Amen? Amen. So we're going to have what we're calling the No Limits. We used to call it camp meeting, um, but uh, unless you're Pentecostal, you don't know what camp meeting is, probably, <laughs> or Church of God. Uh, so um, anyway, so, but we're calling it the No Limits Conference. It'll be Friday night, Saturday night. And then Sunday morning, we won't have a Saturday morning meeting, um, but uh, we want to just really encourage you to be a part of that. Mark that on your calendars. Um, it's going to be really powerful. I'm really excited. The, the evening meetings will be at 7 o'clock. There's no Sunday night meeting, but uh, the Friday-Saturday meetings will be at 7. So make sure to mark that down. Amen? All right, we're going to talk about, wow, tough, tough subjects, tough stuff. And... Uh, who all here has ever, who has ever here, excuse me, been affected by suicide? In your family, friend, you've had, a, maybe somebody, you've had to deal with that. Well, it is a very prevalent problem in our society, and I, I had uh, talked with Stevie several times. We had quite a few conversations over this, just talking about uh, dealing with suicide. Of course, in 40 years of ministry, I've had to deal, I've had to do my first funeral, actually, hard to believe. Uh, but my first funeral as a young man pastoring, uh, just a couple of months into pastoring, was an 18-year-old young man that took a 22 gun and shot himself in the head over a girl. And uh, his girlfriend broke up with him, and he shot himself. I had to go to the hospital, be with the family till he expired, and, uh, and then to do his funeral. And uh, that's, a rough way, <laughs> that's a rough way to start. In ministry, you know, with the, I had never done a funeral up to that point. In fact, truthfully, up to that point, nobody had died in my family, so I had never even been to a funeral. So that was the first funeral that I ever went to. And Sharon will tell you, I came home and just cried. I mean, you know, I was strong while I was at the hospital. Thank God for His grace. But man, when I got home, I broke down. I mean, it just devastated me. I felt so bad for the family. And uh, the guy, I saw his picture, and he looked like my, my youngest brother, and I just, I just fell apart. I mean, it was, a, it was a mess. But through the years, we've had to deal with this subject. I, I don't know if you know the statistics on this, but uh, over 25,000 Americans commit suicide every year. That's in the U.S., uh, not counting in the other countries where, you know, uh, countries like India when we were in India, they had to stop the train one night because a, a young lady just stepped in front of the train. They would just be so miserable with their lives that they would just, no hope at all in their thinking that they would just step in front of a train and take their lives. It happens all around the world. Uh, over one million will try, 
but only, uh, only one out of 15 will succeed. So a million people will try to take their lives every year, but only one in 15 will succeed. It's the 10th highest killer in the United States. More will die by suicide than by murder. The model age for attempting suicide is 32 for men, 27 for women. The model age of succeeding is 50 to 54 for men and women. Men kill themselves twice as often as women do. Uh, women attempt suicide twice as often as men do. There are over 5,000 suicides among teenagers each year. Some 10,000 college students will attempt suicide in a year. It is the second highest cause of death among young people aged 15 to 24, surpassed only by accidents. 13 young adults each day consider life not worth living. That is twice as many as 10 years ago and three times as many as 20 years ago. One report indicated that as many as 12% of all school-aged children will contemplate suicide at least once in their formative years. School-aged children, 12%. So this is a real serious problem that we have in our nation. And I want to tell you just up front that I don't feel like the church has done a really great job of responding to this, and that's the pastor's fault as far as I'm concerned, because we should deal... You know, sometimes because these are real hard subjects to deal with, that we as pastors, we want to encourage you. We want you to be strong. You know, we want you to, you know, fight the victory and, you know, and go forward and the devil's defeated and praise the Lord and have a great, have a great week, right? Me as your pastor, I want you to feel that way. But so when you talk about a subject like this, it doesn't always feel real victorious. Uh, it's, it's troubling, uh, when I preached on hell last week, you know, I mean, you, you know, I wrestle with these sermons because I'm like, God, I got to, you know, I'm an exhorter. I got to have, I got to come out of this with something that I feel like is positive, okay, because this is a tough subject to deal with. And, um, but I don't want to avoid it. You know, I think that the church should deal with all issues of life. Uh, sexuality, I don't think the church should be afraid of that. I don't think we should relinquish everything to the school system to teach everything, right? I mean, I just think we as we, you know, we we look at our children's ministry and our youth ministry here at Amazing Grace that look, we're helping you to teach your children. We're helping you. We're partnering with you. We're not we're not doing it for you. We're doing it with you. So we want you to come alongside what we're doing. We want to come alongside what you're doing, and hopefully you're doing something to make that happen. You know, the Scripture talks about suicide. There are seven different suicides in Scripture, seven different ones. Some of them you'll be familiar with. Samson was one of them. You know, he, at the end of his life, he said, I'm going to knock these pillars down and take out all these Philistines. It was sort of like a suicide mission. If you're reading the Bible with us, you know, we've just come through a couple of them that were pretty tragic. One was Saul, uh, the king Saul, that he... Uh, was wound. He didn't want uh, the enemy to kill him and cause problems, so he asked his servant to kill him, and his servant refused to do it, so Saul fell on his sword and died. Um, one that we just read this last week was Ahithophel, which was a counselor to David. That's if you're doing the daily Bible reading with us. Ahithophel, and Ahithophel was a counselor to David, and David didn't take his advice, so Ahithophel went home, got his, order, his affairs in order, and killed himself, took his own life. So suicide is in the Bible. I mean, there are 
and of course, the one everybody's familiar with is Judas, right? We all, you know, what Judas, you know, that he hung himself. And hey, Natalia, come on right across here and sit with Stevie. It's okay. <laughs> you don't have to sneak around to the back. Come on. <laughs> Natalia and Stevie are going to have a baby here before the end of the year. Awesome. And it is, do we have a reveal yet? Did we do the, huh? It's a girl. All right. Which Stella knew that already, so she told me. So some of the response of the church, of course, with with this has been, and this is really old, maybe you know this, uh, this uh, goes way back, but uh, Augustine, who basically what Augustine said was, is that if a person commits suicide, they've murdered themselves, and so the Bible says, thou shalt not murder. A guy by the name of Thomas Aquinas, years later, came back and said that, um, that if, uh, if you have committed a sin, if you, mur- if you kill yourself, you've committed a sin, therefore when you stand before God, if the last thing you did was committed a sin that you didn't have time to confess for, you may have heard these arguments before, uh, that you didn't have time to confess for, you're going to hell. So... That was basically what Thomas Aquinas said. Now, let me just tell you this. So let's, let's line all of this out. Number one, suicide is not the unpardonable sin. Okay, so let's just line that out. I just want to make sure we get that out in the open. It's not the unpardonable sin. Sometimes there are things like, you know, we look at, I'll talk about this next week a little bit, but you know, we look at certain things and think those are greater sins than other sins. Sin is sin. Jesus died for all sins that those who would believe on him could receive eternal life. Now, you know, here's the thing. The problem that you have with if you say that someone killed themselves so they committed a sin and they didn't have time to confess that sin, here's the problem you have with that. There are a whole bunch of sins you've committed you haven't confessed. You've probably forgot about doing them already. You're, you're, you, you know, you, you're not even thinking about them, okay? So if we're going to live our lives in fear that, man, i got to confess all my sins all the time, all the time, all the time, then we have what's called a sin consciousness, and all that's going to do is keep you weak, anemic spiritually, and it's going to keep you in a hole, okay? And so here's the thing. When we receive Christ in our lives, we, we, we kind of receive this forgiveness that is past, present, and future, and that's the way it's lined out in the scripture. Is is that I am, I was forgiven because Jesus died over two thousand years ago and paid for your sins. So I was forgiven. Everybody say was forgiven. All right, I am forgiven, which that's today. Okay, that's the forgiveness of God. And then I will be forgiven. So go ahead. I will be. I will be. That's future. That's future as well. But. It is contingent on you and I that we are turning to Christ, not turning to being perfect, but turning to Christ and recognizing we need a Savior in our life. Amen? And so we don't, we don't necessarily live our lives constantly going around confessing sin all the time. Though whenever I sin, I do try my best to confess those sins and deal with those in my life because the Bible does say that we should confess our sins. We should, you know, not to a priest, but to God. You Look, you have the high priest. Just, just skip all the natural priests. Go right to the highest of the high. That's Jesus Christ. 
So, you know, if I sin, I have an advocate with the Father. That's, that's plain and simple, right? So, when we talk about it, we, we talk about suicide, we have to just think of, first of all, this is not the unforgivable sin. So I'm going to deal with this maybe in two different ways uh, this morning. One is, is that, listen, if a person doesn't have Christ, has not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, when their life is over here, whether it's through just natural death or it's through suicide, when their life is over, if they don't have a relationship with Christ, then look, they're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the judgment seat of God Almighty. The Bible says in Hebrews 9.27 that it is appointed unto men once to die and then the judgment, okay? So every decision you've made in this life is contingent to help you with the next life. So if I made the decision in this life that I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I believe on God uh, to the best of my ability, I'm living, serving, walking with the Lord, then listen, if I die, if I die physically, if I died today, I'm going to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, I'm not talking about suicide right now. I'm just talking about death. But if I don't have Christ in my life, then my eternity will not be with God. My eternity will not be with God. And people that are saying that, well, you know, God's just and God is, absolutely God is just and God is merciful. But look, you're putting your own context on those words. God is just and God is merciful. In fact, he's so merciful that he himself came and died so that all men could believe on him and receive eternal life. He, people say, well, how could God send anyone to hell? God doesn't send people to hell. People make a choice in this life to not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and to receive him as their Lord and Savior. I've stood at funerals and I've seen people come to Christ and I've seen people reject Christ. I've, heard, I've seen them listen to the message and make a decision to follow Christ. I've seen it here in our church services. I've seen it in evangelistic meetings I've done worldwide that people, they'll, they'll make a decision to follow Christ, to turn from sin and turn to Christ, and they'll make a decision. There are those who in that service will make a decision to not follow Christ and walk away. Rex Humbard, who was a great evangelist uh, that I highly admire, uh, he's with the Lord now, but he was preaching a tent revival, and in that tent revival he was he really felt the presence of God saying, look, there's someone here that needs Christ in their life tonight. Tonight is your night. This is the day you need to receive Christ in your life. You need to do it today. God will not wrestle with you forever about this decision. This is the night. This is your opportunity. Nobody came. Nobody came. Those are awkward moments in church services. But just because we don't see anybody coming doesn't mean that it wasn't the truth, okay? The next night, a woman came to the meeting crying, sobbing, came up to Rex and said, Rex, uh, my heart is broken. He said, what happened? He, she said, my husband was in the meeting last night, uh, and he was not a Christian. He listened to the message that you preached. I know God was dealing with him. He walked out of the service. He went out and got in the car, and when he was driving home, he got hit by a truck, and he died. His night, his opportunity was that night. Look, God provides, you're here right now, hearing this message, so this is your day. You say, well, maybe I got another week. No, you don't have another week. You don't know what's going to happen this week. You say, well, you're scaring me. Well, I'm not trying to scare you, but if that's what it takes, all right. <laughs> Come on. All right, so without Christ, there is no hope. Without Christ, there is no hope. You just got to settle that part. 
Then we come back, we walk it back, and we get to this point where, we're, where now some of us have known Christian people that took their lives. And here's, 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 a, little bit of the, here's a little bit of our dilemma with that. Um, one, in a balanced biblical perspective, it is a form of killing, and killing is expressly forbidden by the, by the Bible. But also, we have to remember here that there is a contrast between intentional and unintentional behavior. For example, the Bible teaches, and I'm going to have you turn, if you, write, if you have your Bible with you, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. And the Apostle Paul, while he's teaching the Corinth church, he brings up a real interesting idea in this verse 3, and I don't have time to go through all of the verses here, uh, but they're all uh, important for us to look at. But I want you to see in verse 3, Paul said, But I fear, but I fear, lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So what are we seeing here? We see that Eve was deceived. Now, he's not talking about Adam here. Adam was not deceived. Adam made a choice. Adam chose to do what he did. But Eve was deceived by the craftiness of the devil or the serpent. Now, Eve was so deceived that she gave up everything that she had spiritually in the garden. And... Talk to, her husband, talk to her husband about doing the same thing. Now, my point with this is, is that Eve was deceived. Deceived means that you were tricked into it. Right. Is everybody with me right now? Yeah. Eve, to be deceived means that you thought one thing, but something else happened. Okay. Eve thought she was doing the right thing because the enemy told her it was the right thing. And what was the mistake that Eve made? Listening to the serpent. Okay? Everybody agree with that? That was the mistake. She should never listen to the serpent. You know, what the Bible says, God said, tend the garden, keep it. Tend it, guard it, keep it. Keep the bad stuff out. The serpent, he's a liar, he's a deceiver, get out. He's a thief that came to steal, kill, and destroy. I wish I could get a good amen. So he... The, the responsibility of Eve and Adam, Adam's standing right there, Eve's there, she's being deceived, Adam's watching the whole thing, he's, he's not somewhere else doing something, he's right there. Right. Your Bible says all that. But he's, not, he's keeping his mouth shut, he knows what God told him to do. Right. He let his own wife get deceived right. by this serpent, by the craftiness. So my question is, can someone who believes in God, and obviously Adam and Eve believed in God, can someone that believes in God be so deceived that they think the only way out of their problems is to take their own life? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, here's the, the, the you know, this is, a, this is a tough thing for us because when we look at, you know, we're sitting in our position saying, well, now wait a minute. They can't do, they shouldn't do that. Well, you're not them. You haven't dealt with what they're dealing with. I'm not justifying anything here. I'm just saying that, look, it's easy for us on the outside to always look at someone's life and say, well, they should never, 
I would never do anything like that. You don't know in that kind of a deception. You say, well, if I was Eve, I would never do what Eve did. I would not. No way, man. I'm too sharp. I'm too bright. Look, these people walked with God in the cool of the day. They were not dummies. Can you say amen? amen? These are people who were taught at the hand of God, who knew nothing but God, knew nothing but God in their lives. They didn't know sin. They didn't know anything but God. And yet they were deceived. She was deceived because of this serpent who is way smarter than, than they were and tricked them into thinking that this was the way to true power was take from the tree even though God said don't do it. God's, God's only fooling with you. He doesn't mean it because he knows you'll be like him if you eat from the tree. Is, is everybody following me right now? Now, so when we talk about that someone has you know, committed suicide as a Christian, we have to look at that the, the, the circumstances for you and I is, is that there is unintentional and intentional behavior, all right? And there are a lot of factors that can play into that. Our view of sin in this church right here, our view of sin holds that once a person has been saved and their name has been written in the Lamb's book of life, which this is all in your Bible, then only a willful and intentional desire to turn away from God and follow the old ways of sin can remove a person from the realm of the saved. Let me read it again. Our view of sin holds that once a person has been saved, they've accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, their name is written in the Lamb's book of life, then only a willful, the only way they're going to get away from that is, is that they choose not to believe in it anymore. They choose to walk willfully to walk away from it. They say, I just don't believe in God anymore. I don't believe in the things of God. I don't, I don't believe, I think it's all nonsense. I think it's all ridiculous. See, if you read your Bible, and like I said, I'm going to get it, I, I don't have time to get into all of this, but if you read the scriptures where Jesus talked about this sin being unpardonable, unpardonable, he talked about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Any of you ever heard of that? All right, what is that? The only sin that is not forgivable is the person that refuses to receive forgiveness. They're blaspheming against what the Holy Spirit is providing. They're saying, I know you have that, but I'm not taking it. I'm not doing it. I can't forgive. I can't walk away from it. I'm going to keep doing the same thing that I've always done. How can something be unforgivable? Because they're not asking for forgiveness. It it's just makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, to me it does. That that's a blasphemy. God's offering this to you, and you're rejecting it. You're blaspheming. You're cursing. You're speaking against something that God's trying to bless you with. That was Jesus' whole point in the passage. Am I going too deep? Our view of sin holds that once a person has been saved, and their name... You say, well, how do we know they're saved? Well... How do we know anybody's saved? Because they believe in their heart and they confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. Now, our, uh, our principle or our core value of transformation says God takes you as you are but loves you too much to leave you that way. And aren't you glad for it? So can you have people that look more Christian than other people? Well, I hope our church is full of all kinds of people that are like, I hope we got people that have just come out of darkness and are still cussing. Yeah. 
and people that have been Christians for 30 years and stopped cussing a long time ago. Are you listening to me? I'm just using cussing, you know, I'm just messing with you. But look, I, I'm, what, I'm trying to, what I'm trying to say, and don't look at me like you've never used a bad word in your life, all right? Because I, listen, I know even your pastor. I was doing fencing last week with my father-in-law. And, and you know, and when I was, I, I, I let a word slip out when I made a mistake. It's probably your favorite word to use. <laughs> I was so embarrassed. But see, part of it's because I hang around with Chuck so much. And <laughs> but, you know, sometimes you just, something creeps out, right? I mean, you didn't, and I was like, I, I was like begging, I was like, one, please don't tell the church that I did this, okay? Uh, second, please don't tell mother-in-law that I said this because she'll never let it go. And, and, uh, but no, I, I mean, I just, I said, look, I'm really sorry. And he just laughed at me and, and said, it's okay. But, but, you know, in the church, you know, see, we start talking about who are Christians. Who's a Christian believer? Well, the only way we can define that is by what the Bible defines as what a Christian is, and that is a follower, disciple of Christ. And that means that, look, you're starting out at different levels, and churches should be full of those kinds of people, people at different levels that, you know, don't know anything, and some that know a lot, and people that are fighting through bondages, and others who have been liberated. Man, I want all those people in the church. Amen. We're not freaked out by it. Somebody says, well, you know, their, their, their lifestyle, I don't think you want them going to your church. Absolutely, I want them going here. You say, well, they're going to hear you, you know, they're going to get offended by what you preach. That's all right. Brother Osteen used to say, no one mad, no one glad. You didn't have much of a meeting. <laughs> Amen. So our view of sin holds that once a person has been saved, their name is written, and their name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, the only willful, then only a willful, intentional desire to turn away from God and follow the old ways of sin can remove a person from the realm of the saved. Heaven is not nervous about your sin. And it will happen. Heaven is not nervous about it because the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sins. And we live as a Christian believer. We want to please God. So we recognize that there will be confession in our life because we know we've disappointed God Almighty. And so we're sorry, Lord, that we said that. We're sorry that we cut that person off. We're sorry that we, you know, made funny hand gestures when they cut us off on the road. If a person, saved or unsaved, commits suicide in an outright act of defiance against God, that person will be lost forever. And that's, that's something I just wanted to address, that sometimes there are there are people that are trying to make a point towards God that, you know, for the life that they have. And that is not a good situation to be in. That's defiance against God. Now, just stay with me. The Bible does not tell us everything. <gasps> Pastor. The Bible does not tell us everything. But it does tell us what we need to know. 
You say, well, I wish it told us every, everything. No, you don't, because you're not even doing what it's already telling you to do. <laughs> Look at your neighbor and say, I think he just took a jab at you. No, it, come on. You know, it, we get questions. People ask questions like, well, what about this? Well, what about this situation? Well, what about this? What about this? What, did, were they saved? Were they unsaved? And, and here's kind of where I think we have to get to as people. One is, is that we always have hope. Always have hope. Always have hope because we're people of hope. Let me define hope for you. Hope is, uh, Jerry Savelle's teaching on this this week has been excellent. Hope is defined as confident expectation. Okay? So, you know, someone that I knew that was a Christian, but they struggled and they uh, took their life, are they in heaven? Well, I hope that they are. Hope is, that is not a bad word to say I hope, because let me, let, me, let me take you to the next step if you're taking notes with this. Brother Hagen said, faith begins where the will of God is known. There are things, people make decisions, do the wrong things under duress and difficulty, and when they make those wrong decisions, we have hope, but we do not have faith we do not have faith. We can't say we have faith because faith is confident assurance, which is different than confident expectation. Assurance says it's mine. See, faith says now. When is it yours? Now. Hope says I expect it. I confidently expect it. So when someone says to us, well, did they go to heaven? I surely hope so. That's my confident expectation. But I cannot say absolutely because I don't know absolutely. There's just so much silence about this. God doesn't go into the details of it. And that should bug us that he doesn't, right? Because there's a reason why he doesn't go into it. Because he doesn't want, he values life. Our society is valuing life less and less all the time. Look I, know, look, I don't know about your stance. This church, and if this offends you, I'm, I'm not even sorry. I'm not. We are pro-life 100%. Absolutely. Now, look, I'm not trying to, like, bandwagon something here, but this whole thing, I, and I, look, I respect, a, a, you know, women's rights over their bodies, but we shouldn't punish the unborn. We should not punish the unborn. And those, those are real lives. Those are real, those are humans. There's, there's life that is there. And, and I know some, some places are, you know, I don't know if you know this, in Michigan, abortion is outlawed. In Michigan, it is outlawed. Uh, all they're waiting for is, is that when the Supreme Court overrules Roe versus Wade, it will be illegal to have an abortion in the state of Michigan. It's been on the books for a long time. A long time. Now, there's some that are trying to change it to the heartbeat bill, which is a great bill as well, but I'm just saying that it's already illegal in the state. I don't know why we need to re-vote and have all that done in Congress whenever we already have a bill on the books that says it's illegal. But what happens is the national law right now, the states don't get to decide that. The national law of the land is Roe versus Wade, which if you know anything about that story, the woman that actually was in that case has been pleading with it to be overturned. And I'm going to tell you what, I believe that this is the time that it's going to get overturned. Yeah. 
I think we should pray harder than we've ever prayed. Because what this has done, and, and just backtracking, you said we were talking about suicide. The more you diminish life on any level, the less value life has to the people. The more you diminish life on any level, the less value life has. You know, when Chuck and I were in Rwanda, I mean, you know, this was a ways back, but when we were there right after the genocide, it, it, was, it, was, it was abhorrent to us being U.S. citizens at how life was not valued. We talked about it, how that, you know, that it was nothing for a neighbor to machete another neighbor because there is no value of life. They've totally, they, at that point, they had totally lost. They burned houses down and didn't care because people were just like animals. The more we become like animals, the less we value life. So the taking of the unborn has done nothing in our country but devalue life. You say, well, what about this case? What about, look, I'm not going to argue about all that with you. I'm just going to say this. A life is a life, whether it's on the outside or it's on the inside. I'll tell you, by law, how ridiculous this is. If a woman is pregnant, whether it's she's, let's say she's, let's say she's 10 weeks pregnant, and you hit her, and you kill that baby that's in her womb, you're going to go to jail for that. You're going to be punished. So if the law values that life inside that womb, even at those early ages, why we should be valuing life. And God says, look, before I formed you, I knew you. I saw you in the womb. You were there. I knew you by name. I knew who you were. If God knows who we are in the womb, we ought to recognize every baby that's in the womb. That's just my personal feeling. So if that bugs you, you're in the wrong church. You're in the wrong church. So someone says to you, well, hey, pastor, did they, you know, my friend, they committed suicide. They went to church. They were in youth group. And uh, did they go to heaven? And uh, I know what people want. They want confident assurance. But you can't give confident assurance. You can only give confident expectation. And that is, I surely hope so. I hope so. I do know this. God is a loving God. And someone who has believed on him in a moment of despair, maybe a moment of just rage, a moment of just depression that took their life, just overwhelmed by what was going on in their life, that they, when they stand before their, the God Almighty, you and I don't know how God's going to deal with that. And that's where we should go, thank God I'm not God. I'm not God. It would be, I know... Um, I know a person that uh, someone came to the church, actually, not to our church, but another church, and said that uh, their, their uh, child had committed suicide, their teenager had committed suicide. And uh, they had come to youth group, were in the church, and they said, you know, did they go to heaven? And someone in the church said to them, no, I'm sorry, but they went to hell. There's no way they got into heaven. You can't say that. Listen. You can't say that, but you can't say they're in heaven either. What you can say is, I hope so. I have a confident expectation that God is merciful, God is just, and I hope in the future that they will be there. I hope I'll see them again. But I cannot definitively tell you. See, faith begins where the will of God is known. You have no scripture to back up that I mean, you could make your own story up here and make your own scriptures up, but you have no scripture to back that up to say that, uh, you know, that that, that was, uh, 
um, that you definitively know that. You just don't. You say, well, I was looking for some real solid answers. Well, there it is. That is the answer. That's the only answer you're going to get from God. So here's the thing. What do we do? What do we do? What are the signs that we know? And especially you parents with teens, you need to be watching for these kinds of things. And, uh, um, and if you have friends at school or you have coworkers or people that you're dealing with, uh, there's a lot of things that people will say like, people that are, like these are lies. People that are going to commit suicide never talk about it. That's a lie. That is a lie. Don't believe that. Because people that talk about it are taught, the tongue is the rudder on a ship, okay? It's the bridle on it. And people are talking about it, they're talking themselves towards it no matter what. So, signs of suicidal tendency, just watch for these. Talking about wanting to die or to kill oneself. Looking for a way to kill oneself. Talking about feeling hopeless or having no purpose. Feeling hopeless or having no purpose. Talking about feeling trapped or being in unbearable pain. Talking about being a burden to others. Increasing the use of alcohol or drugs. And, uh, you know, when you watch a person who's already struggling with alcohol and they keep increasing that and increasing that, they're moving themselves in that direction. Uh, alcohol is, a, listen, I'm, I'm not preaching against alcohol, all right? But alcohol is a liar, okay? And, and, it, and look, it, myself personally, I can't mess with it at all. One, because I have no gauge to stop. You know, I can't sit, you know, I, I'm not picking on your life, but I can't sit down and have a beer. And the reason I can't do it is because in my mind, this one beer made me feel really good. I'll bet 10 will really do the job. And then it'll spiral. I'll be out of control. So what I learned is the best thing is just don't go near it. That's what I do. I don't go near it. I don't, look, what you do is between you and God, but I'm, I don't go near it. I don't touch it. I don't mess with porn. Here we go. Don't go near it. Say, so, well, I, that, I, you know, I never, and, oh, I'm going to, since I'm in so deep in this. <laughs> Look, this whole thing with Game of Thrones. That thing is full of pornography. You say, how do you know? Because I tried to watch one one time. And I had to turn it off. There were men and women nude jumping around at each other. And there, I was like, you know, because I don't like think that way when I watch a TV show, it takes me a second to figure out what exactly is going on. But when I do figure it out, I quickly repent, told my wife about it, and turned it off. And guess what? I don't subscribe to it. You say, well, pastor, that stuff doesn't bother me. You're a liar. You are a flat-out liar because it does. Because you cannot watch pornography and not get aroused. In your mind, your brain is releasing chemicals every time you're looking at nudity that is not your spouse. You're creating images in your own thinking. And what that's doing is it's going to control your life. And eventually, one thing will lead to another thing. And another thing will lead to another thing. And people say, well, I just, uh, it just never really, you know, violence bothers me. But, but pornography doesn't bother me. Stop lying to yourself. Do you, want me to, do you want me to parade people to the altar who could tell you about how pornography just about destroyed their marriage, destroyed relationships that they had? It is an evil, wicked 
destroyer and produces nothing good. Well, I'm going to watch whatever. See, you're doing exactly what I said. You don't want to do what the Bible says anyway, so why did God tell us everything? I mean, it doesn't say specifically in the Bible, Pastor, don't watch Game of Thrones. Well, that's my favorite show. Hey, you do whatever you want to do. I'm just telling you, we live in a non-consequential society today, and look, there is always a piper to be paid. Always. This is really good. <laughs> Signs of suicidal tendency. <laughs> Acting anxious, agitated, or reckless. Sleeping too little or too much. Withdrawing or feeling isolated. Showing rage or talking about seeking revenge and displaying extreme mood swings. These are all things that can be signs. Not all of them are happening at the same time. So my point is with this, when you start seeing behavior of isolation, you need to be concerned, especially with your kids. You know, I don't want anything to do with the family. I don't want to be around the family. I just want to hang out. You know, I, don't, I just want to stay in my room, but be careful with that, okay? Now, I'm not telling you to haul them down there and let them pout the whole time, and then you're totally frustrated and angry and you just want to help them out of this world, okay? So uh, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that they're, they're <laughs> I'm talking about that, they, that, that, look, you're aware that something's going on. I'm going to tell you three things that you need to do. You need to write these down. I don't care if you're a teenager, adult, you need to write these down. Number one, what do you do? You talk about it. You got to talk about it. You say, well, pastor, I mean, if you talk about it, won't that... People, this is a proven fact. When people talk about what they're going through, it stops them from wanting to take their lives. So you got to talk, you got to get them to talk to you. Especially if it's your friend, you think they're slipping down the tube here. You know, you got a schoolmate that you're like, man, something's going on. Look, talk to them. Don't be afraid to talk to them. Say, look, you know, they're talking about, I want to take my life and say, why? What's going on? What? See, they just they feel hopeless. They don't feel like anybody really cares about what's going on. And you showing that you care can make a world of difference in their life of just saying, what's happening? You say, well, pastor, shouldn't I be telling them about Jesus? Look, we're not there yet. We'll get there, but we're not there yet, okay? Get them to talk about what they're going through right now. Get them to talk about what they're, what they're struggling with. And don't be afraid. Just look. You have the Holy Spirit in your life who will lead and guide you into all truth. Just ask God to help you to be able to talk with them. And not going in and saying, look, you got to quit talking like that. That doesn't fix nothing. Talk to them. What's going on? Why do you feel that way? What's, what's, well, my parents are driving me crazy or I'm failing in school or I don't want to deal with this anymore. I don't want to, I just, you know, my boyfriend broke up with me. My girlfriend broke up. All those kinds of things that can put people into hopeless kinds of situations. But if you talk about it, if you get them to talk about it, it goes down exponentially as far as them ever doing anything about how they're feeling. Number two, tell someone. Now, this is a tough one because we think, well, you know, the confidentiality and they talk to me. Uh, look, better to save someone's life than to hold a secret. But I know that's not a proverb, but it sounds like one, doesn't it? Better to save someone's life. Talk to your parents about it. If you know about a kid at school 
You know, don't try to fight these things alone. Talk to somebody. Talk to your youth leaders about it. Say, look, I got a friend that's, that's really taught. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Talk to them. At least get it out in the open, you know, and, 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 and get in other people involved in it that can pray and agree with you. And this is my last thing that I just point out is talk to God. Talk to God about them. See, if Stevie came to me and Stevie said, Pastor, I, you know, I'm just heartbroken. I'm just so frustrated and I just really struggle in and I... I'm depressed and I sleep in a lot and, and you know, and I'm just, I, I don't feel like going on in life. I'm not just going to beat Stevie over the head. I'm going to say, listen, man, let's, let's, let's talk about this. And then, but my next thing is I'm going to say, Stevie, let's you and I pray together over this. Okay. Let me pray with you right now. You know, uh, let me, let me talk with, let's talk to God about this together. See, don't forget about the God factor in this that you bring God into the midst of it. And I, if I had a friend that wasn't saved and they were talking about taking their life, I'd tell them, listen, I'm praying for you. I just want you to know I've been talking to God. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for your life, praying for your soul. I'm praying for your future. I'm praying that, that this thing that's going on in your life will change, that this will be broken. Now what have we done? We have created what Carrie talked about earlier. We create a trust between us and them that we can now talk with them about the Lord, you know, we as Christians are just too quick to just throw Jesus in people's faces right, right. instead of listening to what's really going on with them. And I'm not saying he's not the answer. He is absolutely the answer to every question people have. But people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. So you got to take time with people. You know, don't be like me. I was so stupid in the airport one time. I was walking down and, you know, saw this one person. I said, hey, how you doing? The guy goes, miserable. And I says, well, that's good. Have a great day. And <laughs> what? Wait. You know how you have just conditioned response. You know, you're not really thinking through, you know, kind of like some of us praise the Lord. You know, it's just like it just pops out because we're just always thinking about it. But but, you know, I had to go back and figure. I said, I'm sorry. I said, I'm sorry. What's going on? And then he began to tell me that he, his flight had been canceled. He was stuck there. You know, listen to what, if you have time, listen to what people are saying. So now I just want to close out with this because I've meddled around on that enough. It isn't up to us to know what anybody's eternity is. So stop worrying about it. Because there isn't anything you can do about it on this end anyways. Just hope in God. We have a hope. But I will say this on top of that. If you haven't made the choice to ask Christ into your life and surrender your life to him, it doesn't matter what happens, whether you took your own life or your life just suddenly ended. You'll spend in an eternity without God in hell. That isn't God's plan for your life, but that's the plan that lays in front of you. But if today you make that decision to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and to accept him as your Lord and Savior, to say, Lord, come into my life. I turn away from sin and I turn to you, Lord. And, I, and understand, as I said earlier, it's not about that I turn and I'm going to be absolutely perfect because you're going to be sorely disappointed. But I turn to you and know that you're my ally to help me be better to be a new creation, then at that point, that's when the power really starts going to work in your life. That's when things will start happening. And if you died, 
whether it was in the parking lot or it was 10 years from now, you'll be with God Almighty in heaven because you've asked Christ into your life. So I want everybody just to bow your head with me, if you would, please. And uh, I just want to ask you this morning, look, if you, if, if you are not right with God and you're not sure, you, you know, I talked about confident expectancy and I talked about confident assurance. If you're not confidently assured that your name is in the Lamb's book of life and you'll spend an eternity with Christ were your life to end here, look, I want you to know today that you can make that decision to follow Christ. See, you won't spend an eternity with Christ just in heaven. You'll spend an eternity with him beginning today. Your life will change dramatically because of Christ's work in your life. While heads are bowed, eyes are closed, we're not looking around in the sanctuary. If you'd say, Pastor Joel, if my life is not right with God today, but I want to make it right with God, I need to. I know that uh, this is, uh, I, I, I believe, I heard what you said today. I heard what you said about hell. I heard what you said about heaven. And I really, I, I really do, I really need to make things right with God today. All over the building, I'm just going to ask why your heads are bowed. If that's you I'm talking to, that that's really speaking to your heart, I'm just going to ask you if you just look up at me, if that's you I'm talking, if that's really, really, really speaking to you, thank you. Is there anyone else here today that say, that's me, Pastor, that's me. I'll just take time looking through the building. Say, that's me. I Thank you, sir. Is there anyone else here today? Say, that's me. I just need to get things right with God today. This is the day. This is the opportunity to do that. Is there anyone else? Join these two that have made this decision today. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Stand up with me, please. Well, isn't that exciting? Two men that have made the decision today. Awesome. Awesome. I'm going to um, lead you in a prayer, and then we're going to have prayer people up here at the altar for prayer. I'm sorry I've gone over time. You know, this isn't an easy subject to deal with, but... And I, I, I want to take time with it, so if you had to go, you should have went. So, <laughs> okay, you just should have went. And get, the, get the CD later, or the, the podcast. Uh, this will be available online if you just want to re-go over it. But um, uh, I want you to pray this prayer with me, everybody together. Just close your eyes and say this. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus I, believe I believe you died for my sins. You, for my sins. you, gave, your life you gave your life and paid for what I could not pay for. Today, I turn from sin and I turn to you. I turn to you, Jesus, to be the Lord and Master of my life. Thank you, Lord, for giving me a new life, a new spirit, and freeing me from the bondage of sin. From this day forward, your master of my life. I will walk with you. I will learn from you. And I will grow with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Give the Lord a good hand for these two. Amen.